0: On Srimad Bhagavatam, 10th Canto, Chapter 1, Text 56, given by Srila Ravinda Srupa on July 12, 1994, in Philadelphia. We're reading in Srimad Bhagavatam, this is the Canto number 10, the first chapter, Advent of Lord Krishna, the introduction this morning, text number 56. Translation Each year Thereafter In due course of time Devati The mother of God And all the demigods Gave birth to a child Thus she bore Eight sons One after another And a daughter named Subhadra Purpurpa Shila Prabhupada The spiritual master Is sometimes glorified As Sarava Deva mayo Guruhu, Bhagavatam 11.7.27 By the grace of the guru, spiritual master, one can understand the different kinds of devas. The word deva refers to God, the supreme personality of Godhead, who is the original source of all the demigods who are also called devas. In Bhagavad Gita 10.2, the Lord says, Aham Devanam, I am the source of all the Devas. The Supreme Lord, Vishnu, the original person, expands in many forms. Tad Aekshita Bahusham, Chandogya Upanishad 6.2.3.
1: He alone
0: has expanded into many. Advaitam, Achutam, Aladhyam, Ananta, Rupam, Ramasamita 533. There are different grades of forms known as Swamsha, Swamsha and Vibhinamsha. The Swamsha expansions for Vishnu Tattva are the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Whereas, the Vidhanamsa, or Arjiva Tattva, who are part and parcel of the Lord, Mamayvamsho Jiva Loke Jiva Bhuta Sanatanaha. If we accept Krishna as the Supreme Personality of Godhead and worship Him, all parts and expansions of the Lord are automatically worshipped. So, sarva, uh, Sarvarahanam acyutyeja Bhagavatam 4.31.14 It yeah. yeah. means when Krishna is worshipped, everyone is worshipped. Ach, when is worshipped, then everyone is worshipped. And Krishna is known as acyutha, sinayor ubayor mandye ratam Stapaya me acyutha By worshipping acyutha, Krishna, one automatically worships all the demigods. There is no need of separately worshiping, either the Vishnu Tattva or the Jiva Tattva. If one concentrates upon Krishna, one worships everyone. Therefore, because Mother Devaki gave birth to Krishna, she is described here as Sarva devaka Each year thereafter, in the due course of time, Devaki, the mother of God, and all the demigods, gave birth to a child. Thus she bore eight sons, one after another, and a daughter named Subhadra. So in this purport, Prabhupada uh, concentrates on explaining this description of Devaki as sarva-devata, in whom uh, are the mother of God and all the demigods. Uh, Sarva means all, devata. Uh, So uh, how can that be? Of course this is, uh, what do you say? Uh, uh, Krishna has yet not yet appeared in his in her womb, um, so this anticipates her role. This is an utterance looking to the future. Sometimes you can do that. you can speak of uh, future things as present. I think there's a technical term, I think it's proceptic uh, utterance. Mm, so that's what's uh, done here. Uh, uh, so uh, so um, anyway remember I mean, Vasudev had promised that whatever children we have I'll give to you to, to come with it four uh slaying uh, Devaki on the spot so he agreed he was persuaded so now it says Nine years passed. And every year, uh, a son, eight sons, and then one daughter who was, Supadra Mm -hmm. they appeared and uh, Devaki gave birth. So because Krishna is going to appear, she's referred to as Sarvadevata. Uh, So this is, uh, um, the point is that um, Wherever Krishna is, there are also all the devatas are there, all the devas. So, um, Prabhupada first says, Spiritual master is sometimes glorified. Sarava deva my old guru, guru in whom all the devas are found. That's because the guru is supposed to be one who uh, in whom uh, Krishna can be found. Just um, as... Uh, devotee uh, had Krishna in her womb. The so spiritual master is also one. Uh, Krishna is present. And by being a devotee, um, means a spiritual master means that person from whom we can uh, understand Krishna and uh, contact Krishna. Because Krishna is not currently available to our materially contaminated senses, but he becomes available through his. Uh, uh, devotees. So if we want Krishna, uh, we have to go to the devotee to find Krishna. And then when Krishna is there, uh, everything is uh, also there, including all the devas. The word Deva, he says, refers to God, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, who is the original source of all the demigods, who are also called Deva. Uh, I think, uh, from Sanskrit, etymologically, the word deva is derived from a verbal root that means to shine. They are effulgent effulgent beings. So there are uh, many devas, you you hear, uh, I've heard the term uh, from various sources that Hinduism, there are 33 million demigods, I don't know if that's bona fide or not uh, or what they mean by uh, deva there are many classes of, of, of uh, beings that are intelligent, uh, powerful and not uh, not exactly humans like Nagas, Gandharvas Kinnaras Kimvarushas and so on uh, they're not all devas but the devas uh, are uh, uh, well Prabhupada if the word deva is not referring to the supreme personality of Godhead Prabhupada always translates it as demigod It means not fully God demi means uh, partial uh, not fully God and sometimes uh, Hindus who come here are a little upset with this because we actually make this distinction between krishna who is also called deva and all the uh, all the uh, other devas um and uh, uh but uh, krishna, the krishna the devas are um, actually jiva tatva uh, they are one kind of expansion of krishna and they're very powerful. They're also representatives, of, uh, just as spiritual master is uh, representative of Krishna in one way. So the devas they also represent Krishna. They're uh, they're called vibhuti uh, uh, manasatva. They're representations, uh, beings who are endowed with an extraordinary amount. of a a certain uh, uh, power of Krishna. Hmm. Uh, For example, uh, Krishna controls the universe. So when we see a big uh, rainstorm is coming, and we can see thunderbolts flying in the sky, and the earth shaking with with, uh, thunder, and uh, so much energy is there, we can understand this is Krishna. Uh, but actually, it's Indra. Uh, Indra is given uh, that uh, supervisory, uh, supervisory power over uh, over uh, thunder and lightning and rain and so on. That's uh, that's his business. Uh, so that's Krishna's power that he's controlling, but he's delegated it actually, to a a qualified jiva. So anybody has any power. Just like if I have some power, sometimes we see that human beings are born with some extraordinary power or talent. Someone, they don't know why, they can just pick up a musical instrument and start to play and you... Uh, play a note and they'll tell you exactly what note it is. They have perfect pitch and with extraordinary skill and ability they can do something. Uh, that's also Krishna's power that they have uh, been delegated to them. Usually because of some past pious activity they've been given that delegated power uh, although it's not theirs. So all power is delegated. Nobody has got anything without having it been borrowed uh, to them from Krishna. This is stated in the Brahma Sanita uh, that uh, um, everything, all uh, all dharma, uh, all sins, uh, uh, all austerity, uh, all the. the the Shastras, everybody from Brahma down to the tiny ant is operating on power delegated to them by Krishna, uh, by Govinda, yaddatta matram, vibhava, prakata prabhava, that's what it says, it's all delegated to them in different degrees by Krishna. They all have some potency if you look at an insect, an insect has some extraordinary talent that they they can do. Uh, spiders have this extraordinary talent of building webs. Uh, and uh, mosquitoes have a flying talent that surpasses that of the greatest uh, um, uh, stunt pilot. And so everyone has got their delegated powers they're all delegated. So the demigods are simply uh, jivas who have more delegated power to play around with. So they're like uh, the See, what we have to understand is that at least to those of us who are born in the West the idea of demigods is long gone. Uh, First of all actually It's associated uh, in the West with what they call uh, paganism. Um, uh, uh, Pagan, actually the root of the word pagan, means somebody who lives in the country. So uh, the pagans were uh, Christianity when it spread into Europe, first spread in the cities. So the people who worship the old gods the Greek gods the Roman gods whatever else uh, so they were called pagans because they country people uh, that's where it comes from so that was the older religion of Europe before Christianity they worshipped many gods uh, uh, and uh, so when Christianity spread they spread the news one god and, uh, but the ultimate result of that was to think that there were no uh, demigods at all. These were actually, and they had a they had a certain notion about what these demigods were. Uh, so, to some extent, what happened is is that there was uh, gradually impersonal notions that crept in. Uh, but the fact is that there are demigods and uh, you can understand it that that uh, here this is the city of Philadelphia and there's a regular arrangement for our supplies. Uh, we turn the caps on and water comes out and we turn the lights on and electricity comes out and uh, electricity is there and the, the illumination comes. Uh, uh, the gas comes out of the gas pipes. And so there are different supply departments for us. And we understand behind each of those departments there's an administrator. And there's some supervisor who takes care of that particular function. It's delegated to some supervisor. And then there's a head person. There's the mayor of the city. And then all these departments are functioning underneath is water. The universe functions in a similar way. Uh, there's the supreme Lord, and then there's the devatas. So people are worshiping the devatas, uh, but they have to be understood to be, uh, 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 as Krishna says, "Aham Devanam, I am the source of all the devas. They are simply higher placed jiva souls. So a devotee, uh, and and, and they are devotees, they are uh, are functioning in responsible posts on behalf of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Therefore, they should not be disrespected. Uh, But neither are they supposed to be uh, thought of or worshipped on the same level as the Supreme Personality of Godhead and not to be independent of him. Uh, And what we learn in this purport is that uh, if you worship Krishna, all the devatas are automatically worshipped. All of Krishna's expansions are worshipped. So although the original person is one, uh, he has expanded into many. Uh, And uh, he has different sorts of forms. Advaitam, Achyutam, Anadim, Anantarupam First thing says is he is Advaita, he is non-dual And yet it says he is Anantarupam He has multiple, and uh, not multiple, endless, endless forms It says his form is endless And that means he has expanded himself into endless forms and that Uh, His form also possesses unlimited potency. Anantarupam. So although a Dvaita, still Anantarupam. So there's an understanding of these different forms. Prabhupada describes here grades of forms. Krishna has expanded. There's so two categories. Uh, The word amsha uh, means part or expansion. Limb, actually. Uh, limb or part expansion, amsha. So svamsha, his own amshas, and dibinamsha, his separated amsha. Dibina, dibina means separated, divided. So svamsha and dibinamsha, uh, two grades or categories of Krishna's expansions. So svamsha is another name for what's called Vishnu Tattva the principle or the category of Vishnu. So the personal expansions or the personal forms, although there are many of these forms, they are all one and the same Supreme Personality of Godhead. And then the Vibhinamsas, the the Jivas or the Jivas, who are not in the category of God, but are in the category of servant of God. Uh, so each, each, uh, and, uh, the, another word that Prabhupada uses for, for uh, uh, Shamsa is plenary expansion. Plenary means with full power. Sometimes we talk about a plenary session in the United Nations. The plenary means has full power. So each of the Vishnu Tattvas, they have actually full power of God Him. Whereas the Vibhinamsas are endowed with gradations of partial power. Uh, from Lord Brahma, who has a huge degree of Krishna's power uh, given to him to exercise such as the power to create the universe uh, that 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 uh, description of creation let's say for example first book of the Bible Genesis in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth uh, he divided day and light and water separated land and water all that that's Brahma is being described. The activities of Brahma are being described. So that great incredible act of creation, Krishna doesn't do himself. He says to Brahma, who's a jiva, you do it. Where does a jiva get the power to create a universe? Krishna gives it to him. So then flying around here there's a little wasps and they have the power to create their little nests the little cells that they put their eggs in they have their creative power the ability, the, that power, somehow or other, they didn't go to school to learn how to make those nests and they do it also that same delegated partial power so that's Vibhanamsa that's in the category of jiva So, uh, the jivas are only uh, one with uh, the Lord in uh, quality. But quantitatively are described as different. He's great and the jivas are very, very small. Uh, Whereas the Vishnu tattva, they're all great. They are qualitatively one, quantitatively one. Uh, In fact, they are just one. You know, sometimes uh, the the relationship between Krishna and Krishna's energies is described in our philosophy as a chintya beda a tattva Inconceivable, Krishna and his energies are inconceivably and simultaneously one and different. um, this uh, philo- this idea of simul- inconceivable simultaneously oneness and difference I've noticed being used somewhat carelessly in our movement I was just reading a book by Satyuraj on the Pancha uh, looking at it and he describes some of the uh, members of the Vishnu Tattva side of the Pancha as their relationship of uh, Chincha-Beta-Abeda-Tattva. That's not right. Uh, uh, there is the... Uh, uh, Krishna and his uh, Vishnu-Tattva expansions are not uh, inconceivably and simultaneously one and different. They're just one. Uh, they're all in the category of God. Now, you may say there's differences, otherwise we can't talk about them. Well, somehow there are differences, but uh, it's not the same as a chintya veda abeda tattva So far as I can see, researching through Prabhupada, uh, a Chimcha-Veda-Veda-Tattva is used to describe the relationship between Krishna and his energies. The Vishnu-Tattva expansions are not energies. There's Shakti, energy, and Shaktiman, the possessor, possessor of energies. So all the Vishnu Tattva expansions are Shaktiman; they are not Shakti. Radharani is Shakti, Jivas are Shakti, the Brahma Jyoti is Shakti, but the Vishnu Tattvas are not Shakti; they're Shaktiman. So, Achincha beta beta Tattva applies between Shakti and Shaktiman. Uh, and there's another tendency in, in, in our movement to apply it to anything and everything. I heard somebody speaking about, uh, for example, just recently someone was giving a lecture and they were speaking about the fact that there seemed to be a contradiction is worrying about householder life in our movement and uh, worrying over this problem. He was uh, discussing that how uh, absolutely necessary a solid household life is for any uh, culture, especially Krishna conscious culture. Children have to be brought up properly. They cannot be neglected. They cannot be Varna Shankara uh, and so on. If uh, there aren't strong family ties, then uh, everyone is psychologically messed up and so on. Then on the other hand, he noticed all these texts which are warning us against the dangers of household life, against becoming attached to family members about household life as a dark well. Uh, so he uh, then announced that the solution to this contribution, this uh, this. Uh, Contribution. The solution to this uh, uh, contradiction was a chincha beta beta tatla. I didn't raise my hand, but I just uh, shuddered because I've I've, I've seen it applied uh, sometimes by devotees to say everything, anything, and everything is inconceivably and simultaneously one and different. That means you can't think anymore. That means there's no sense to say to somebody Oh, come to the temple and surrender to Krishna No, no, I'm not here It's inconceivably and simultaneously One and different I once had a devotee put forward a proposal Trying to reconcile Krishna consciousness And modern science And he decided they were inconceivably And simultaneously one and different Um, uh, Another usage of this philosophy Showed up when when uh, Kirtanananda was uh, deviating so much from the practices of Krishna consciousness and acting completely independently uh, from any order of the GBC and yet as part of our movement the GBC was going to have to take responsibility for all his acts. And so the GBC decided in 87 that it had to expel him from this kind. We couldn't allow somebody to be completely independent not follow any orders and do whatever he likes and yet as part of our movement we have to Bear the responsibility, uh, so that he was he was expelled from our movement. And he uh, sent the long fax or telex or something to into the GBC. I think I've got it in my file somewhere, uh, arguing uh, that he should allow to be part of ISCON on the basis of a chincha beta beta tatwa. And uh, <laughs> quoted several uh, sources like Walt Whitman, Emerson and F. Scott Fitzgerald, the American writer, to the effect that contradictions are okay. Uh, do I contradict myself? Walt Whitman, too. Uh, do I contradict myself? Very well, I contradict myself. I am large. I contain multitudes. And, uh, some leaves of grass. You know, and... Uh, a foolish consistency is the hobgoblin of a little mind. So therefore, he was arguing on the basis of the Chintibeda Vatula, supported by other great authorities, that uh, that uh, even though he wasn't following any of the rules and regulations of ISKCON, still he should be allowed to be part of ISKCON. Uh, these are the this are the reasons why you cannot say the principle of a Chintibeda Vatula can be used. <laughs> <laughs> between the relationship of anything and everything. Uh, all I've ever seen it done is applied to the relationship between Krishna and His energies. Uh, in fact, when I was, I, I asked this question to Narayan Maharaj about Krishna and Balaram. Uh, because people were using this, Jinja Beda Beta Tattva, and it said, I said, are Krishna and Balaram uh, achintya beta beda tattva And he paused for a minute and he says, No, uh, they're just none different. They're not one and different, they're just non different. Uh, so that means to say that relationship doesn't apply between Krishna and, uh, and his uh, 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 Shamsha expansions. So let's be a little careful. You, you'll, you'll hear this used very carelessly about our movement as a chincha Beta Beta Tattva, as though we're going to go on some higher tr- level of truth uh, in which uh, oh, there's no there's no logic anymore. I mean, uh, once once you've got that, as soon as you have any contradiction in your philosophy, you just evoke a chincha Beta Beta Tattva and everything's fine, uh, and all thought processes thereby stop, including uh, Rational discourse. I don't I think Prabhupada would want to see thought uh, processes come to an end on the basis of a beda Beta Tattva. Um, so anyway, uh, be careful. Uh, so the vibhinnas, the the jiva souls, they are one and different from Krishna. They are different, although that's not exactly. I mean, the way uh, in way in one respect, the respect of being qualitatively. Uh, one, and, and quantitatively distinct, there's nothing a chintia about that. If something is the same in one respect, and different in another respect, uh, then you have, then that, that's perfectly conceivable. Uh, that's not, uh, but the relationship in general between Krishna and Krishna's energies, uh, that, that is, uh, that is a uh, uh, That is a chintia. Uh, um. At any rate, Krishna includes, uh, he's inclusive, um, he includes uh, both the, the swamsa and the vidyanamsa expansions. And so when he is worshipped, everyone is worshipped. There's no need to make any separate worship. So when Krishna is worshipped, all the demigods are automatically satisfied. And when our duty toward Krishna is discharged, so are our duties to everyone else actually discharged. Uh, um, Because of his his position as the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And so he wants to say there's no need of separately worshipping all the Vishnu-tattvas or the Jiva-tattvas if any Vishnu Tattva or Jiva Tattva is honored or worshipped by us it has to be uh, because of the connection with Krishna but not uh, separately. The problem is uh, that we are dealing with is because of the because of Mayavad philosophy uh, prevalent in India the relationship between Krishna and the devatas, the demigods, is not correctly understood. Uh, So, many people uh, have unfortunately, even though they're followers of the Vedas, they've been systematically misled, so that they think that the absolute truth is one impersonal thing. This is my one philosophy. And, but somehow or other, that absolute truth has become covered by illusion. Because of the covering of illusion over the absolute truth, which is one without any differentiation, their idea of oneness, is complete homogeneity. Uh, this is called, the philosophy is called nir vishesha. Uh, vishesha means... Uh, Uh, distinction or differentiation. So the Mayavad philosophy is the philosophy that the absolute truth has no distinctions or no differentiations. So therefore, it is one thing uh, and there's no difference of parts. Uh, Neither are there any energies because once you say the Absolute and the energies of the Absolute, then you have also a difference. You see, we say achincha, beta, abeda, tattva, so that beta means difference. They reject, uh, any beta whatsoever. So there are no energies. Another way you can describe Mayavad philosophy is that the Absolute has no energies. so that where does the manifest world, where do all the differences and distinctions that we see come about? Uh, Where I perceive myself as an individual, I perceive you as individuals, I perceive this world of variety around me. Where has this, what is it? It's an illusion. Is this illusion produced by the absolute truth? No. The absolute truth doesn't produce anything. this is the philosophy where from does this illusion arise now you cannot a- answer it uh, the, at least they have no answer it cannot be uh, it cannot arise from me the jiva because my existence as a jiva is in fact a product of illusion it's a result of illusion can be the cause of it And how can Brahman uh, be covered by illusion? Then illusion be more powerful than Brahman. So there is this inexplicable existence of illusion. Uh, uh, So, uh, anyway, um, it's not the energy. So they say, anyway, their philosophy is that uh, while we are in illusion... Uh, We have to think of the Absolute Truth as a uh, separate, as one thing among many, Uh, so therefore we may uh, actually worship anything as the Absolute Truth. In principle you can worship anything, but generally, out of piety, they'll worship uh, one of the devatas. So you pick your uh, but the, the devata, your favorite god, and you worship that. So yes, you may pick Krishna, or you may pick Durga, uh, or if you really want to, you could pick your boyfriend or girlfriend. In principle, one of the proponents uh, of this philosophy, uh, in fact, uh, worshipped his own wife famous Bengali uh, priests from the temple of Kali in Calcutta uh, worshipped his own wife and decided she was manifestation of Kali He did now so uh, some people may not object but Anyway, that's the that's the theory. So people, when when we and, and therefore, if you go to places that they have Hindu temples, you'll see uh, uh, like a, a supermarket shelf of deities. You know, all kinds of brand names, and you can pick whatever brand name you want. That's uh, that's uh, a system and uh, krishna is just one among many uh, that's what you're uh, that's what you're up against so then they come to this temple and they see that we have we are worshiping only krishna and krishna's energies internal energies uh, so they say where's everyone else where is ganesh where is durga uh, and we just have, have to point at Lord Jagannath and say, there, Sarva, Deva, Maya, these are all included uh, in uh, Jagannath. He's there. Uh, but they'll think that we're being uh, unfair, that uh, somehow or other we're leaving everybody out. But we haven't left anyone out. Uh, but we don't accept this. Uh, this whole philosophy this is based on that you worship one Devata. But that actually, that Devata you worship, you know that that Devata is not the Supreme. In your mind, the Supreme is a a one uh, undifferentiated, unexpressible, unexplicable something that's not different from nothing at all, this impersonal Brahman. That's actually the Supreme. So therefore, you, you know that you're worshiping something as the supreme that's not the supreme. So that's idolatry. To worship any created thing as God, to mistake any created thing as God, is idolatry. Or they And they also think that actually I am God also. That's also idolatry. So this is the um, the thing that we are we are up against in this uh, dealing with people who have been uh, misinformed like this about the position of Krishna. So it's an offense against the holy name. Think uh, any of the names of Shiva, Durga, so on, to be independent of, uh, of the name of uh, Krishna equal to the name of Krishna or independent of the name of Krishna uh, sometimes Vaishnavas can worship uh, devatas but they do so only as they are worshipping uh, some someone as devotee then you can worship like that you see them uh, not as independent of and not as equal to Krishna then you can worship so some sometimes before any undertaking, Ganesh is worshipped. Ganesh is Lord Shiva's son with the elephant head. Um, there was a head transplant uh, story. And, uh, and Ganesh uh, is noted, uh, he removes obstacles in this world. That is his... Uh, worship for the removal of obstacles. Uh, so he can be worshipped for the removal of obstacles in the path of devotional service. That's stated in Nectar Devotion. Uh, and, and ritually, when there's a big sacrifice, sometimes they'll worship Ganesh in the beginning to remove obstacles in the sacrifice. So if your devotional service is to worship Krishna and you're worshipping Ganesh to remove obstacles, then there's no problem like that. Well, actually, we wrote Prabhupada, Uh, Shall We uh, Worship Ganesh, and he wrote back saying that uh, in your country you don't have the proper facility for doing so. You can't do it properly. So it is not necessary. In fact, that was a letter that came to people in Philadelphia. I remember that. But then some other devotees who are earning money wanted to worship Ganesh because you'll see that many people who make money worship Ganesh. Many uh, shops, you go to shops in India they always have Ganesh there because uh, the making of money is full of obstacles. Every day there's a thousand obstacles that you have to overcome Anytime you want to make money. So they're all ardently worshipping Ganesh. So they asked Prabhupada they could worship Ganesh, and Prabhupada replied that they could so long as the money that they were all the money that they were earning would be used for the purpose of Krishna consciousness didn't make it it so same principle has to be done in connection with Krishna because then it's still removal of obstacles and devotional service but if I'm just worshiping Ganesh, for the removal of obstacles in the path of my becoming a rich person, then that's separate. Uh, that's the demigod's worship. His uh, worship is separate from Krishna or independently of Krishna. Anyway, any questions, comments, yes?